Hey, it's so nice seeing so many friendly faces. Happy Sabbath. Nice to, nice to see all of you. Uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series, and so kind of keeping with what Janice said in the opening, if you've ever wondered what great lengths God would go through to show you that he loves you, this is a sermon for you. See, we're in this sermon series, Faces of Grace. We're looking at these, uh, these people in the Bible and how even though they were imperfect, God uses them to proclaim a perfect gospel. He allows us to be human beings in process, and it is some good news because it's all by His grace. We picked up with the story of Abraham last Sabbath, beginning our series, and we looked at how Abraham was called to go from his country, to go from his relatives, to go from his immediate family, and to go to a land that he was going to show him. And Abraham said, okay, Lord, we will go. But then adversity struck, and the a form of a plague, and so Abraham has to go down to Egypt, and he starts to become fearful, and he comes up with his own plan, and he starts to rely on his own strength instead of God's strength. But because of God's grace, Abraham's story didn't end there. See, we looked for a succinct definition for grace in the Bible, but we found that there wasn't one because grace has no succinct definition because God uses people to define it. He uses the stories of individuals in the Bible to define what grace looks like. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be picking up and looking at a rather interesting man, an interesting prophet that we find in this book of Jonah. See, Jonah is a story that maybe we heard growing up Maybe our, uh, our children's story uh, teacher told us the story of, of Jonah. Maybe we saw the Veggie Tales movie of the story of Jonah. Maybe we heard just through the grapevine that there's a story in the Bible about a Hebrew prophet who's swallowed by a large fish. And so then we tend to think, okay, 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 we know the story. And so we just don't really spend time studying it. When in fact, Jonah actually presents a rather amazing picture of what lengths God will go through to show us that he loves us. And so, if you have your Bibles, picking up in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so he went down to Joppa and found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, the Ninevites, or the Assyrians, Nineveh was a city in the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were known for their atrocities. Nineveh being in the, the Middle East, where present-day uh, Syria or Iraq or um, Afghanistan, it's, it's, it's dealt with a lot of turmoil, a lot of suffering, a lot of war. And the city of Nineveh, under the regime of the Assyrians, was known as a bloody city. In fact, in the book of Nahum, the Old Testament prophet says this. He says, Woe to the bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage. Her prey never departs. The prophet goes on to say that there is no relief 
for your breakdown. Your wound is incurable. All who hear about you will clap their hands over you, for on whom has not your evil passed continually? See, Nineveh was known as the city of wickedness, of destruction, of, of oppression. They did the most vile of things. And so Jonah is told, arise, go to Nineveh, and pronounce judgment upon them. Now, that, that sounds kind of interesting because it's a fire and brimstone sermon, and Jonah, being a Hebrew, hates the Assyrians. In fact, at this time, there's probably not another people group that the Hebrews hated more. And so Jonah, you would think that his inclination to this call to go to Nineveh to proclaim judgment, that God is going to judge this city, he's going to rain down judgment upon you, you'd think he'd say, okay, okay, yeah, I can do that, no problem. Sure. I'm on my way. My bag is packed. I get to go tell someone that you're going to bring judgment on them. Have you ever had somebody that you wish you could just say, you know, God's going to judge you for that. You ever wish God gave you that message? Oh, Lord, I get to go and confront so-and-so and tell them that what they're doing is wrong? Sign me up, Lord. So you would think Jonah would, would be all about it. But in fact, notice what Jonah does in Jonah chapter 1. He's told to arise, go to Nineveh. But there's actually this kind of secession that takes place. He, God says, arise, go to Nineveh. But Jonah went down to Joppa. And then Jonah went down into the boat. And then Jonah went down below in the boat and fell sound asleep. Now Joppa was actually not a, it was a port city, but it wasn't a Jewish port city. It was, a, uh, it was a safe place. See, Jonah does not want to be uh, made. He doesn't want to, to be recognized. And so he's going, to where, he's going to a place where he can lay low. He's fleeing from the presence of God. And what we find in Jonah chapter 1, picking up in verse 6, there's this huge storm that has happened. And so it says, the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Now, I don't know about you, but I get terrible sleep. I just, I don't get great, I'm not great at sleeping, I guess. I can fall asleep anywhere. True story, I actually fell asleep standing up one time. I was just in the middle of a conversation. I was exhausted. It had been incredibly stressful, and I just dozed off. And before I knew it, I was getting picked back up. And my friends were super alarmed because I just had fallen asleep standing up. I remember when we were on a 16-hour bus trip from Salt Lake City to North Dakota. We're going to play in a hockey tournament. And the buses that we had weren't the nice buses that maybe other teams got where you have uh, sleeping arrangements. It's bunk beds. And, and no, we got the regular Greyhound buses. And so you have the armrests that don't even go up. And they just pierce your side because that chair, that seat is not made for a regular individual. I don't know where they get the model for how to build those seats, but they're terrible. Try sleeping on that. So we'd lay out these mattresses, mats on the floor, and we'd try to, try to configure yourself. I remember I had a teammate who tried to sleep in the overhead compartment because he could just barely fit, because we're trying to get good sleep because it's 16 hours. Now, if you thought a long road trip with your siblings was difficult, try being on a long road trip with hockey players. Because we just, we just make fun of you, we bully you, we fight, and then it's on again. It's an endless cycle. 
And I remember I had tried to find a safe and secure place to sleep because I was stressed out because we had to come back from North Dakota and I had to take my ACT test. I had to take the ACT, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I need to get a good ACT score to get into a good college to go play Division I, so I'm kind of stressed out, so I'm trying to, to catch some sleep next to the coach, thinking that I'll be safe here. And as we start to wind through some, some winding roads, and, and the, the, the journey starts to, to go on, my coach does something rather mean and draws on my face. And I didn't know because he let me get out and go into a gas station and buy some snacks with his drawing on my face still. But I slept through that. Why? Because I was exhausted. I was stressed out. And here Jonah has gone below. He's done the exact opposite of what God has said. And it's caused him to not only be physically exhausted, but emotionally exhausted. And so he can sleep in the midst of a storm when the ship seems to be breaking up. I mean, there's complete panic, and he's just, he's sound asleep. Isn't it interesting that when God calls us to do something, and we try to head in the other direction, it causes stress. It causes turmoil to the point of exhaustion. And so the captain approaches him and and says, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this is. And so they cast these lots and they find out that it's Jonah and they do some investigation. And in verse 10 it says, the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then if you jump down to verse 13, you have Jonah saying, the only way that this storm will be calmed is if you throw me into the ocean. But here are the sailors who their ship is breaking up. They're obviously rather experienced sailors because you, you wouldn't think that any, any storm would, would cause them panic. But this storm is of, of, of apocalyptic magnitude to them. And so they're calling out to any and every god they can think of. And Jonah says, throw me into the sea and it'll be fixed. And their response in verse 13 is, however, the men rowed desperately to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Here are sailors. They're not Hebrews. They don't believe in the God that Jonah believes in, and yet they're going to great lengths so that they don't have to throw Jonah into the sea. All because Jonah is fleeing the presence of God. Why? He's, he's been told that he can go and pronounce judgment on a group of people that he hates. But see, Jonah knows something about God. He knows that God has a terrible habit, a really, really bad habit of forgiving the worst of us. And he knows that if by some slight miracle anyone in Nineveh turns from their way, God will forgive them. And he doesn't want that because he hates the Assyrians. And so he leaves, he flees, he gets tossed into the ocean. And then in Jonah 2, you have his prayer because God does something amazing in verse 17 of Jonah chapter 1. It says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, the Assyrians had this god, his name was Dagon. 
and he was a fish god. In fact, he, he had a, a fish head or maybe a, a fish hat and uh, some renditions uh, right at his waist. It turns into almost kind of like a merman experience where he, he's, he's got a fish tail. And this was a rather prominent god. So could you imagine hearing that a Hebrew prophet has just arrived to your city by way of a giant fish? Sometimes the way God saves us is for the people he's going to send us to. It's so we have a story that connects with our audience. And so Jonah is swallowed by this giant fish. And then he arrives at Nineveh and he starts to go throughout the city proclaiming that God is going to bring judgment. He still gets to use that message, the fire and brimstone message. In fact, it's, it says in, in chapter 3 that it was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. But if you were to show up to Nineveh, you would find out that you could actually make it through the city in about a day. So some scholars are baffled by this verse because it, it, doesn't t- it seems to not make sense. Three days walk? How slow would, he, would somebody have to walk? But see, this is a, a cultural marker because in Jonah's time, if you showed up to a great city, a city of note you would spend some time there. And it would take you several days to eventually make it to your destination because you were getting to know the city. You were spending time in the city. But Jonah goes one day in, and he's already proclaiming the message that judgment's going to happen. He hates the Assyrians, and he does not want them to know that God is going to bring judgment. And so we pick up. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God did what God does, and he relented concerning the calamity, which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The Assyrians, they heard this this preaching, and they, they said, Okay, okay, we're done, we're done. They didn't tear down their idols, which is an indicator of a religious revival, they didn't, they didn't tear down the idols of, of Dagon or Ashdod or, or these idols in their culture. No, they just stopped doing wickedness. They stopped their violence. They stopped their oppression of the weak and the poor. They stopped getting into uh, uh, uprisings. They, they said, no, we're done. No more bloodshed. No more wickedness. No more. And God said, I'll relent. In some translations, it says that he repented interesting that God would repent, would turn from what he was going to do and extend grace. But that's God. But in verse 4, chapter 1, it says, this greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. What do you mean he became angry? This is a Hebrew prophet. You just went and you know who God is. You just pronounced judgment. They turned and now God gave grace and you're upset about it? Have you ever seen that one person you don't like get a blessing from God and it kind of stings a little bit? You ever, you ever experience that where, wait, how come, how come they're having that happen? How come they're in that relationship? How come they're getting that job when I'm, I know God, I follow God, I show, up to, I show up to church, I show up to prayer meeting, I read my Bible, they don't, and yet they're being blessed and I'm not, and it starts to fester that, that anger or that hatred you might kind of have for them even more. And so Jonah, this is, he's upset. He's furious. God, why would you do this? 
And then in verse 2, it says, He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. See, Jonah ran from God because he knew that God was in the business of forgiveness. And he would forgive the Assyrians. And he hated the Assyrians so much that he did... He, he was willing to die himself so that he didn't have to proclaim the message. Now, if you think about it, Jonah, who, who in their right mind would think, if they believe that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, that they could outrun God? Who in their right mind would think that? I mean, that's just silly. You ever do anything silly? You ever do anything just downright stupid? I know I have. I could raise up both hands. I mean, the amount of things that I've done, I gave my mom all of her gray hair. All of it. My sister, not, none of it. It's fully, fully me. Why do we do dumb things? Why do we do silly things? Well, sometimes we'll have an emotion that we won't process, and then we doesn't matter what anyone says. It doesn't matter the argument that they give. It doesn't matter if they bring the best evidence. It doesn't matter. We're not willing to listen. Why? Because we have an emotional response that we have not processed. And so we're going to do something that just doesn't make any sense to anyone who's thinking rationally. Jonah is trying to flee the presence of God. What do you, what do you think he, his mental, his thought process was? Okay, you know, Nineveh, it's going to, okay, I'm, uh, that's to the east. I'm going to go to the west towards Tarshish. Yeah, I'll get like maybe two days journey. And, and oh, man, God's going to be like, oh, no, he, he went too far. I'm going to have to find another prophet. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you think went through his mind, right? He's clearly, because of his anger, because of his hatred towards the Assyrians, he's become delusional. But God loves the Assyrians, but God also loves Jonah. A religious bigot. God loves a religious bigot. He doesn't want to go and proclaim the gospel to the foreigners, to another nation that disagrees or has a different ideology than him. I think how often I've been like Jonah, where I'll see another church or I'll see another people group or I'll see another uh, just <laughs> even sports teams. And I think, no, no way, no way. They root for the Eagles. I'm a Cowboys fan. They root for Washington. I'm a Cowboys fan. You know, they just can't. Sorry. They're beyond. They're beyond. Right? But think about the more serious things. The coworker who has different political leanings than us. You know, the, the high school friend. The, the collegiate. Right? The, um, the other parents, the, the, the other parents' spouse, or, I mean, just think of the people that, that we might have frustration towards. God uses Jonah, a religious bigot. In fact, God cares so much about Jonah, just as much about the Assyrians, that God does something amazing. See, God, uh, he sees that Jonah sets himself up outside of the city to kind of watch everything right? Kind of like what we would normally do on the 4th of July. We'd try to find a nice little hilltop to watch the, the fireworks, right? And so Jonah has just gone, and he's found himself a hilltop before the July is not canceled, 
for him. And so he's sitting on this, uh, uh, up on this hill and he's wondering, okay, let me, I want to watch everything transpire. I want to watch God do his thing. I want to watch the fireworks. And God brings up this plant. And it covers, it gives, it gives Jonah shade. And Jonah likes it. He's kind of like, wow, this is nice. You know, the benefits of following God. This is, this is great. And then God sends a worm, and the worm eats the plant. And then God sends this intense heat. And Jonah starts to say, I wish I would die. I wish I would die. And then God starts to open up this dialogue with him. The only way that God could... In verse 9 of chapter 4, uh, then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant, which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals. Jonah was willing to have compassion for something that benefited him, but he was not willing to extend that compassion, that grace, to someone who differed from him. And so God is trying to reach Jonah as much as the Assyrians. See, the book of Jonah ends with a cliffhanger. I hate those movies but because they don't present any closure. See, if, if, if you were to ask me my favorite type of movie, I would say the one where everyone in the end dies. It's full closure. You don't have any lingering, well, what would have happened if they would have done this or the, the story? No, 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 no. If everyone's dead, there's no more story. It's a perfect ending. I can just, I can go to sleep, because it's ended. The story's not, there's not going to be a sequel, or, or a prequel. Well, there might be a prequel, but, you know, they, but we know how it ends, and so it's okay with the prequel, right? But there's not going to be a second one. There'll be a remake, but it's perfect ending for movies. But here, in the book of Jonah, it ends with a question mark. Come on, Jonah, why would you tell us this story and then end with a cliffhanger? because God wasn't finished working on Jonah. God wasn't done. Jonah's story doesn't end. And the Assyrians, who do not know the difference between the right and their left hand, God is trying to show Jonah how to extend grace to them. Because this concept of grace is what truly changes us. We looked last time in Titus chapter 2. It says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us. So it's not shame that instructs us, it's grace. But grace does not mean you completely forget. God acknowledged Jonah. God acknowledged that Jonah was angry and asked him, do you have a right to be angry? So grace does not mean you forget, you just brush it under the rug and you say, yeah, you know, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. No, grace allows you to acknowledge it. But grace also allows you to extend a benefit of the doubt. You see, Jonah hated the Assyrians. God's perspective is they do not know the difference between their right and their left hand. It's interesting that it says they do not know, because when I, when I think of myself, and, and maybe you think of yourself, I often think of Calvary. 
I often think of, of Jesus on the cross, and I wonder what part, what camp would I have been in? Would I have gone along with the peer pressure and started chanting crucify because I wanted to see some action? Or would I have been telling everyone, no, 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 this man is sinless, this man is, is guiltless, this, this is the Savior? What camp would I have been on? Or what side would I have taken? And I find it interesting that as we end on a cliffhanger in the book of Jonah, we see in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' last words, extending that same benefit of the doubt, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You see, if we knew what God knew, we would understand that they just don't know. And so when they post that political argument that differs with us, or when they get into that argument over sports teams, or, or when they, try to, they, they, they start to bash a certain group, a demographic of individuals, and yet they show up to church and they think that they're worshiping God, God is telling us that we can extend grace, the benefit of the doubt, because if, if they knew what God knew, if we knew what God knew, we would know that we know nothing. And that we're only here because of the grace of God. But the great news is that he, knowing that we know nothing, does not leave us on the outside. But he embraces us and welcomes us into fellowship, into community, into love. And he says, by this grace, you're going to be transformed. This church, we're made up of a bunch of many faces from many different backgrounds. And yet this church is a church full of faces of grace. And so as we celebrate this 4th of July, as we celebrate what many have sacrificed in order for us to just gather in this house of worship, to worship together, may we also be willing to look at somebody who we might have some lingering emotion about and say, God, I know I don't know what I'm doing, and so I know they don't know what they're doing. And only by your grace can we be united. So show us how your grace transforms us so that we can proclaim the grace to them as well.